Ephesians chapter 2, look if you would at verse number 11. The great apostle said, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the saints there at Ephesus, who of course were Gentiles, was reminding them of what they were before they were in Christ. They were called the uncircumcision by that which was the circumcision. They were aliens from the commonwealth of, of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, can I just stop right here and make this observation? It is possible that they might have been all right with that. I mean, in other words, it's possible that they might have said, well, we really don't want your circumcision and we could care less about the commonwealth of Israel and we're not interested in the covenant of promise. But the next thing that he says in that verse would have probably set them back on their heels. For in verse number 12, he not only talked about the fact they were aliens and they were strangers, but he said this, having no hope, and without God in the world. Hope is that elusive thing that so many have spoken about in so many different ways over the years. A former president was swept into office on the wings of a campaign slogan of hope and change. Unfortunately, the only basis for the hope he presented was his promises, and like most politicians, they never materialized. But truthfully, most of what people hope for today has no real promise of ever becoming reality. Please remember this, that hope in the scriptures is trusting in the unchanging and the unfailing promises of God that are found in his word. It's not just some ideal that we may conjure up in our mind of what we imagine would bring world peace or maybe even bring us happiness. But I find it strange that in this book, that is the only place that we can really find true hope in this world. That in this book, that he speaks about those who have no hope. And I want to talk with you just a little bit this morning about this business of what it means to be hopeless. Let's, let's take that as our first thought. What is it to be hopeless? Well, first of all, let me suggest this. Is it to have little of this world's things? Is that what hopelessness is? To have little of, of the world's possessions, is, is that hopelessness? Well, some think that's true. And there are many around the world today that would tell you that when they're in poverty or, or when they don't have as much of the world's things that they'd like to have, that it's just a hopeless situation. And I would remind you that in Luke chapter 16, it was the beggar named Lazarus that was laid at the gate of the rich man uh, full of sores and that begged crumbs from the rich man's table. It was him who was received by the Lord into his presence that was born by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. And it was that rich man who fared sumptuously every day. As you think about that little thought, it, I think it just simply means to us that anything he ever wanted, anything he ever desired, 
Every little thought that he had was fulfilled. He fared sumptuously every day. And yet when he died, he lifted up his eyes and held hopeless. We know that our pastor mentioned to us last Sunday evening there in Luke, or excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 11, as he's giving that, that rundown of those heroes of faith, that he comes down to about verse number 37, he says, and there were others. And he talks about those who were destitute, that wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And yet verse 39 reminds us that these all obtained a good report through faith. In our missions conference just a week or so, it was last week, we heard reports from missionaries and works around the world, and many of the reports that they shared with us concerned people that had very, very little of this world's goods. And yet the truth is that they had great hope, great joy, great peace. So when we first think about what hopelessness is, we have to come to the conclusion that it's not necessarily not having the things of this world. That's not hopeless. Many of those who had little less than anyone else were filled with hope. Let me suggest a second thing to you. If that's not hopelessness, then perhaps it is to be ill and dying that's hopeless. Some of you sitting here this morning have perhaps sat with a family member or a friend, or maybe even you yourself, and heard a doctor say something to the effect that, well, we've, we've done all that we can do, and there's no hope. It's just a matter of time. But is that really true? Is there no hope? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6 through verse number 8, just shortly before his own death, <laughs> the, the apostle Paul wrote, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. I don't know about you, but that really doesn't sound to me like the voice of hopelessness. He said, the time of my departure is at hand, and we know that his execution was looming on the horizon, but he certainly was not hopeless. The American evangelist D.L. Moody, that many of you recognize that name, he was quoted one time as saying this. He said, someday... You're going to read in the paper that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. When you read it, don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Again, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like hopelessness. As I was sitting in my office this last week thinking about this thought of, is it hopeless to be looming near death? I, I was reminded of a lady by the name of Macy Hesse. M-A-C-Y, Macy, last name Hesse, H-E-S-S-Y. She was a member of the first church that I pastored when I was in Kentucky. I drug out my records and saw that in 1979 I preached her funeral. She was 86 years of age. Mrs. Hesse had three daughters. Her husband died early on in their lives, and she raised those three girls by herself. She was, I guess you might say, the epitome of what we might call a frontier woman. She was 80 years of age, and she ran a rototiller and planted her own garden. She was just tough. <laughs> but eventually, sickness caught up with her. Age caught up with her. 
and she was confined to her home. She actually stayed by herself in her own house when she was barely able to get out of bed. Her daughters would come by the morning and check on her before they would go to work, two of them that lived in our area, and then they would come back at night and make sure that she was secure and ready for the evening, but she lived by herself. I would go by and visit with her often. She was, it's one of those deals where, you know, as the pastor, you were going by to encourage one of your church members that was drawing near to death. But I'll be honest with you, every time I walked in that room to speak with that lady, I was the one that was encouraged when I walked away from her because she had such a sweet spirit. I'll never forget going one time, I, I came and knocked on her door and when uh, she would just invite you in, her door was unlocked and she said, come on in. So when I walked in, she, as soon as she saw me, she started dying laughing. She said, I got to tell you what happened to me this last week. She said, I was laying here in bed and someone knocked at the door and I hollered, come on in. I thought it was you. Some gentleman that was in the area as a salesman was going up and down the streets and she thought it was me. She invited him in. She, talk, she thought he was me the whole time he was there. She talked to him like she was talking to me. And when he got, he finally got, he realized he wasn't going to make a sale there. So he was trying to get away from her. And when he finally got away from her, she said, well, let's have prayer before you go. And she said he stood there just for a moment and said, oh, okay. So he, he bowed his head and had prayer with her. It wasn't until after he was gone that she realized that wasn't me. <laughs> but that was who she was. But she reminded me of the statement that was made by that old Scotsman who said this. When he was told that he was dying, he said, I do not think that it matters much. For if I live, Jesus will be with me. And if I die... I will go to be with Jesus. Doesn't sound like the voice of hopelessness to me, does it to you? And so I think we've learned that to be hopeless does not necessarily mean that we do not have the things of this world, the possessions of this life. Or to be hopeless does not mean that we're near the death door. Well, maybe there's a third thing we should think about. Is it to be hopeless to be forsaken by those that we have loved? You remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he made that statement that Demas hath forsaken us, having loved this present world. And then he said again later on in that same chapter in verse number 16, at my first answer he said, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and comforted me. Paul knew what it was to be forsaken and even betrayed by those he had labored with. And I think most of you would agree with me this morning that there's few things in life that set us back as much as when those that we trust and those that we rely on and those that we have confidence in forsake us. Especially when it's family. So difficult, so hard. Dr. Charles Weigel is a name that is probably associated or familiar to many of you if you are a student of hymnology. It's a name that's familiar to anyone that had association with the old Tennessee Temple College. He spent his last days and actually died while he was there on the campus at Tennessee Temple. Dr. Charles Weigel, although he was an evangelist for many years and traveled the country and preached in great meetings, he was probably most known as a songwriter and most of you would probably know him as the author of the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. But many of you may not know what prompted the writing of that song. In the early days of the ministry of Dr. Charles Weigel, when he was traveling the country as an evangelist, 
his wife left him. He came home to find that she had left. And her message to him was, I I don't want to be the wife of an evangelist. I don't want to be the wife of a preacher. I I want to enjoy the things of this world. I I want to go to parties. I, I I want to go out to the dances. I want to do that type of thing. I don't want to be married to you any longer. And she left him. About three years after she left him, she passed away. She died. Dr. Weigel, by his own testimony, said that in considering all that happened, one day that he sat down at the piano, in just about 20 minutes' time, he wrote the words and the music to the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. Sometimes from the depths of the greatest despair of being forsaken by those that are closest to us, the Lord Jesus becomes more real than he's ever been. And so I think again this morning you'd have to acknowledge that to be forsaken by those that we have loved, of those that we've tried to help. There's not a servant of God that's sitting in this room this morning that whether you be a former pastor or whether you be a Christian school teacher or, or just someone that has labored in the church, there's not one sitting here, I say, that at some point in time someone has not betrayed you or stepped away and walked away from the service of God that you had seen them so faithful in over the years. Is that hopelessness? Paul said, I hope it's not laid to their charge. But notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. That doesn't sound like the voice of hopelessness, does it? And so here we are. We're, we're, we're talking about what it is it to be hopeless. Well, it's obviously it's not to be, uh, have little of this world's possessions. And certainly it's, it's not to be near the door of death. And I guess we can come to the conclusion that, that it's not to be forsaken by those that we love. Maybe the hopelessness of the Bible then is to have lost that person dearest to us. And some of you know exactly what I'm speaking of. Because you've been down that path, whether it was a spouse or a parent or a sibling or maybe a very good friend that you've had to give up in death. I'm reminded again of the words of the Apostle Paul there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through verse 18, where he reminded us that we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For the child of God, that's not how we sorrow over those that have been lost through death. We are encouraged in verse number 18 again when he told us that we were to comfort one another with these words. Though our hearts may break when we have to say goodbye to that one that's dearest to us. Over the years, it's funny how life progresses. Many of you can identify with this. I remember when I first started preaching. I may have mentioned this to you before. I was 22 years of age when I started I pastored my first church at 22. They didn't realize, I've always had my hair started turning a little like this, even when I was young. They didn't know how young I was, and I didn't tell them. (laughs) But I remember preaching back in those days about heaven. And the truth was that I knew very few people that were actually there. My grandparents had passed away, but I was because of the distance that we lived away, I was never really exceptionally close to my grandparents. I knew they were there. But I never really lost anybody really close to me. But as I stand here this morning, some 50 years later, I know about as many people on the other side as I know here. I've got about as many folks that were close to me on the other side 
as I do here on this side. And I realize again that it's easy sometimes to look around and become despondent over those that are gone. And yet at the same time, as a child of God, we live with the greatest hope based on the principles and the truths of the Word of God that one day we shall see them again. I remember standing over the casket of my own father back in 1989. He passed away several years ago. And looking down into his face, and the only thought that I could think of was this, I'll see you again someday. All this time, there's not been one day that has passed from October the 15th until this day of 1989, until this day, that I have not thought about my father. And I miss him. But I know I'll see him again someday. After the death of his youngest sister, a man by the name of Frank Graff wrote a song. The title of that song was, Does Jesus Care? And here's what he said. He said, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye, the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? And then in the chorus, he echoed these words that many of you could sing from your own heart. He said, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. So we're talking this morning about what it is to be hopeless. And all these things that we've mentioned, these are all the hard circumstances of life. And many of you here this morning have walked through these circumstances. But yet we realize that these are not the hopelessnesses that the Scriptures speak of. This is not what he was referring to when he's talking about being hopeless. Well, if this is not hopelessness, then what is hopelessness? Well, come back with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And look back at our text verse in verse number 12. He once more reminded us that at one time they were without Christ and they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. And watch that next phrase. And without God in the world. To be hopeless, first of all, is to be without God in this world. Because you understand this morning that without him, there can be no peace. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1 reminds us that therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 reminds us that the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The prophet Isaiah from the other side of the thought reminded us in Isaiah chapter 57 that the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. To be hopeless is to be without God in this world. To be without the peace that can only come through Him in a world of turmoil and a world of heartache and a world of heartbreak. To be without peace. But can I suggest something else to you? Not only is it to be with, have no peace, but also there can be no purpose in life. When we are without God, there can be no purpose in life. We all can quote from heart Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them love God, them are the called according to His purpose. And we're reminded again that how hopeless 
life is without God. Because honestly, listen to me. (laughs) Without God, what is the purpose? It's easy to understand a generation today that's wandering aimlessly through life when they've been told that there is no God and that everything around us is just one big cosmic mistake, that truth is what we imagine truth to be. Is there any wonder that there's so much hopelessness? I I was reading this last week, and an author made this observation. He said, oftentimes today we, we question, how could a good God let some of the things happen that are in the world? And we know that men have struggled with that question. But let me ask you this. What happens then if we just take God out of the the equation? If we're going to question how a good God could let these things happen in the world, well, let's, let's just take God out of the equation. What do we have left? Well, we have the injustice and the crime and the hatred and the rebellion. We still have that. But now we have no hope. We have no hope. Someone talked about seeing a bumper sticker that said this. Eat healthy, exercise, and die anyway. Let's be honest. Without God in the equation, that's exactly what life amounts to. Do you understand the hopelessness of the Bible is to be without God in this world? Because first of all, there can be no peace in a world where we need peace. And second of all, there's no purpose in life. Without God, there's no purpose for existence other than just an aimless going along and then one day dying and ceasing to exist. But I would also say this, that without God in this world, there could be no anchor. Look at your Bible if you have it there in front of you at the book of Ephesians, or excuse me, the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Look if you would at verse number 18. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 18, the Bible reminds us that by two immutable things in which it was impossible, now listen to this, it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Watch verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in that within the veil. You understand that to be without God in this world, the hopelessness to be without God in this world means that we have no anchor. We're driven by the winds of this world. We're dashed upon the rocks of despair and doubt. But with him, we find the deepest, darkest depths of despair that our anchor holds. Probably more than 20 years ago now, I did not really check the dates. I was driving home one evening while I was pastoring at Old Ohio, I was driving home from our Bible school and I got a call and I answered the phone and it was the family of our pastor emeritus, Brother Richard Folder. They called and said that their son, Randy, had been killed in an automobile accident. He was living in Kentucky at that time and he'd been killed in an automobile accident. I turned the car around immediately, went to their home of course, you can imagine the brokenness, the, the suddenness of it all happening the way it did. They went to Kentucky to make arrangements, and they asked me to, to come. The only, the only person that I ever preached their funeral twice. I preached his funeral in, in Kentucky for all the, fans, people, all the people there that knew him. And then we came back to Ohio, and I preached his funeral a second time for the family and the friends that were there in Ohio. 
But I'll never forget walking into the funeral home on that Sunday evening for the calling hours there in, in, uh, in Kentucky. Went back into a room where our Pastor Folger was. And you can imagine the brokenness. Here was his son killed tragically in an accident. And I walked into the room and he just looked at me and he said, the anchor holds. The anchor holds. And I'm just here to say this morning, the hopelessness of the Bible reminds us that it's to be without God in this world. Because without God, we have no peace. Without God, we have no purpose. Without God, we have no anchor. Can I give you one other thing quickly to think about? Not only is the hopelessness of the Bible to be without God in this world, but it's also to be without God when this life is over. Remember again our thoughts back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Remember again what the Apostle Paul said? But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Whether it's by death that we leave this life. Maybe like the rich man in Luke chapter 16 we talked about earlier who lifted up his eyes in hell and torments. He saw the despair and the brokenness and the torture that he was going through. But no one could offer any hope. He asked that even someone would come and dip their finger in water and cool his tongue. But there was no hope. I don't know about you, but I remember very distinctly before I was saved, the one thing that gripped my heart was the very thought of eternity. You know, when you're young and stupid like I was as a teenager, you, you know, think you could endure. I could endure, endure anything for a while. And yet the Spirit of God began to make real to me that eternity was just that. There was no beginning. There was no ending. It was forever. And the hopelessness. If there was no suffering in hell, other than just separation. If there was no fire in hell, just the separation, if that's all there was, the hopelessness that would grip your heart would be enough to make it a place of destruction, a place of horror. Hopeless. Hopeless. And not only, it might be by death, but it might also be by his coming. Many of you remember Dr. John Bishop that has preached here before, the gentleman that suffered the terrible disease that took away his memory and now his, his age is catching up with him. But I'll never forget, this is before he ever was sick the first time. He preached for me when I was in Kentucky and he preached a message. He announced one night he was going to preach a message on something worse than going to hell. And I thought, what in the world could be worse than going to hell? And his thought was that for the Lord to re return, you'd be left behind and endure the horrors of the tribulation period and then end up in hell. The hopelessness of it. The hopelessness. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? The Bible talks about those which have no hope. And we found out that that's not necessarily not having the things of this life or, or being near death or, or maybe being forsaken by those that we love or even losing someone dear to us in death. That's not the hopelessness of the Bible. The hopelessness of the Bible is to live a life without God because there's no peace, there's no purpose, there's no anchor. And the hopelessness of the Bible is to die without Christ.
because there's no hope. We're separated from him in the fires of an eternal hell forever. Having no hope and without God in this world.